Hey, this is Chew On That, and here's what we're chewing on today. You know what? I was actually going to talk about something else today. But this past week, I was thinking about life in lieu of our current situation. And as I was having those thoughts with myself, I felt like the Lord took me back to the passage of Scripture that we were in last week. And when I went back there, I was struck with the idea, struck with the thought that in the telling of our story last week, I all but skipped over one of the most significant stories in the Gospels. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back into the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, and I want to share with you a message that we're going to call Divine Interruption. Hey, hi, welcome to Chew On That. My name is Pastor Scott. And I'm glad that you could join us today. Today we're continuing in the series of Jesus Said uh, with the sermon uh, from Sean Hennessy titled Divine Interruption. Today my special guest is my friend Chris Barsh. Say hello, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Scott? I'm so glad that you're here. If you guys could see us, we're six feet apart sitting at Chris's uh kitchen dining room table and uh, we're observing social distancing. We sure are. Hey, before we get started, Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Chris Barsh. I am a... a... You're not in it? Can you not say it? I can't. Oh, I'm an administrator for the Green Bay School District and um, I've worked with kids for as long as I can remember. I'm a single dad right now. I have two little ones. Um, I'm working from home right now. Oh, wait, hang on a second. Chris has two little ones because compared to us, everyone is a little one, but they're like 28 and 26 or something. Like, how old are these No, kids? they're 7 and 10. Yeah, 7 and 10. So not little ones because little ones means like one or two. Okay. Nine. They're little to me. Yeah. Well, All like right. I said, everyone's little to us. All right. So 7 and 10. I, right now I'm working from home and then I'm also teaching them and I'm spending most of my day either working or educating them. That's awesome. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, educating from home these days, but like, I, you're probably really good at it, but I'm wondering, how did you, how, how did you come to find Life Church? Uh, it was actually through a friend. It was about a year and a half ago and I came, I, I wasn't super interested in church. I kind of fell off from church. Traditional church just wasn't serving me and I tried, right? I thought it was important to have my kids be part of something bigger. I was, I was raised Lutheran and I really wanted them to be part of a church. So we started going about a year and a half ago and I just absolutely fell in love with it, especially Pastor Sean and his messages. That's awesome. What are your, so, you you know, I I get that you're, you feel like you're resonating with Life Church. Like what are the, apart from Sean's messages, what are your other highlights? Like what are like, what are your favorite things about Life Church? Honestly, Alpha was a huge influence on me too. I've made some amazing friends through Alpha, including you, and it's just been it's been life-changing for me. And that was that that kind of brings me through the doors each and every day as well on Sundays just because I get to see sort of my tribe at Life Church. And it, it's been fun doing it over Zoom for Downtown Church on Sunday nights as well. All right, great. Well, I'm really excited to have you. I'm really excited for this discussion. Let's jump right into it. Here's the first bit from Sean. When you were unclean, if you were going to go anywhere in public, you had to make it very well known. You had to make a scene. You had to yell out, unclean, unclean. But the worst result of being unclean was that you couldn't go to church. You 
You couldn't go to the tabernacle. You couldn't go to temple. And by not being able to go to temple meant that you couldn't offer sacrifices for your sins, which essentially meant that you'd be living in a perpetual state of sin except for one time per year when the priest made a corporate sacrifice for the sins of all the people on Yom Kippur. Man, I just, I love Sean and his theatrics. Like, I, I mean, I don't mean to call him theatrics, you know, like in a, like a demeaning way. Like, I just, I, he's like uncleaning and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, because I feel like for so many of us, like when I grew up in church, I, I knew like my uncleanliness. And so, you know, I love that I could hide that. Like people didn't know. So I could sit in my pew or sit in my church or go up for communion or whatever. And people wouldn't know about my uncleanliness because it was hidden. Do you know what I mean? And so, but then that also made me wonder like, are the people around me, do they all have their uncleanliness that they're trying to hide too? Because I, I could never walk into church and say, I do this and I do that and I do this other thing. And so, you know, I think about, about how, you know, temple or the, um, uh, the tabernacle or church represent this place where we go to be cleansed or to be holy. Is that how you were raised? You mentioned you know, becoming a Lutheran. Is that kind of what that looked like? Oh, absolutely. I feel like I remember distinctly not really ever paying attention to anything, but that moment after communion that we'd go up, right? You'd take the bread, you'd take the wafer, you'd take the wine, and then just feeling better as I went back down. Didn't really understand it, but just knew like, oh, okay, this kind of gives me a free ticket to be good for the rest of the week or maybe not be so good because I'm going to be back here Sunday, not really pay attention and then do it all over again Sunday during that communion piece. For me, it was a free for all, right? It was a free for all all week because I knew that on Saturday, you know, I would go to confession so that on Sunday I could take the communion. So it was just like, listen, this is going to be fine. I'll just go to confession on, on Saturday at before 430 mass or whatever. And I feel like that wasn't really, that wasn't really like repenting of my uncleansliness, right? It was just, you know, but, but I don't know, like no one was keeping track, you know, like, I mean, I guess maybe the priest was like, maybe if I kept coming back with the same things, but like they were always moving around and they were always like, sometimes it was Father Bert, sometimes it was Father Jordan, sometimes it was Father Val. And sometimes like, I don't know, no one's keeping, like there's a log book of it. And so that, you know, there was just one instance where like I felt disconnected because there was like, you know, going through the motions. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's part of why I feel like I fell off from church is that it just felt, I wasn't really getting anything out of it. I wasn't really growing. I wasn't trying to be better. I just sort of went through those motions. And, you know, actually, I mean, I was, I was raised Lutheran, but my dad was Catholic. Mm. My parents didn't want to convert for each other. So I always just picked what was ever convenient for me. So Maybe it was Saturday mass with dad because then I didn't have to go Sunday morning. Or sometimes it was Sunday because I knew that I'd see friends there who are in my youth group. So it was a lot of convenience and that there wasn't a lot of depth to what I was getting ever, I didn't feel like. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And so for 12 years, this woman, she was in isolation. For 12 years, she was living with fear that if she died within that little window of time between the sacrifices, she would not be able to enter into God's eternal presence. Not to mention that if anyone entered the temple or the tabernacle while they were unclean or while they had sin in their life, the Jews thought they just died instantaneously. When you entered into the Holy of Holies, you would just die. 
And what's interesting is that Jesus was the tabernacle. He was the temple in the flesh. He became the temple incarnate. The gospel of John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is literally translated tabernacled. It was saying that the word Jesus became flesh and he tabernacled among us. He became the center of who we are. He became the purity that was available to us. When I was a kid, I was an altar boy. And we were always warned that when we were getting the altar and the places ready, and you stay away from that tabernacle, right? Because the tabernacle was like behind these like huge golden gates you know, and then there was like this really red room with ferns. And then like there was this kind of gold and ruby little building. You know what I mean? It's like mid-century modern, you know. And inside that tabernacle then was where the consecrated hosts were kept. And so, and I totally get the holiness of that, right? That in the in the Catholic tradition that this is like the actual Jesus. And I can't be clowning around in there like this, you know, like 12 or 13 year olds can't, Scott can't be clowning around the tabernacle. And I totally get it. But then that makes me think, as Sean had alluded to, about like the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle there, right? Where like whenever that I, I learned this somewhere, I hope, I think it was on the internet, so I know that it's true. But I read that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice or to, I don't know, whatever he did at Yom Kippur, they would like tie a rope around him in case like he was unclean and he didn't tell anybody in case he dropped dead inside the Holy of Holies and then they could just pull his dead body out because they didn't want to send someone else in there because they would be unclean and then they would drop dead and they were just like, they would just pile up of dead people. I'm not trying to joke about that, but I love Sean's point about how, you know, in scripture how it talks about then Jesus dwelt among us and how that the... The Greek word or the Aramaic word or the Hebrew word, whatever they were using there to talk about dwelt was how he tabernacled. And I love how that flattens our religion, how it flattens the hierarchy of our faith where, you know, we, I mean, if you work anywhere, right? Like administration as an administrator, right? right. The more administration you can put into place, the better off you are because then people can be, you know, accountable for something. And then, you know, we've got, I don't know, oversight, Right. And so I feel like churches from the very beginning have done that. Like I feel like in Jesus's time, the Pharisees had done that in their temple where there was like these levels and then these levels and then these levels. And, and like all those levels blur our relationship with God. That's exactly what I was thinking when I heard this was the answer is Jesus, right? He is it. And I love that idea, right? It's about a man who represents love or the divine who represents love. That, that's all we need. That's all you need to, to, to do anything is you need Jesus, right? You need that love in your life and you need to exude that love. And we've talked about this a lot. You know, if we can just attempt to be more like him each and every day, how powerful is that? And each day wake up and say, I can do better than I did yesterday. I think that is it just that is such a foundation of who I am right now. I love that. I feel worried sometimes about how we talk about how if we boil this thing down to what Jesus told us to do, right? Which was to love God with everything we've got, love our neighbors as ourselves, including the people we don't like or that vote differently than us or are attracted to people who, you know what I mean, whatever, right? That we're supposed to love everybody and that we should go and make disciples of all nations. Go tell everyone the good news that love and love and go are what we're supposed to do. And I know that that can be seen as an oversimplification, but like, 
I feel like Jesus came to simplify. Like, I feel like so when this idea of him coming down and becoming the tabernacle, becoming the holy of holies himself, like he's like, let's forget about the curtains, you guys, and the gold boxes and the, you know, fancy robes and the, you know, all this other stuff. Let's forget about that. Let's go back to this relationship, a flat relationship between God and us. And I just kind of really feel like that's where Sean was headed, you know, in that part. So in her mind, if she didn't die by her touching of the tabernacle Jesus, she could have been put to death by touching members of the opposite sex and by breaking Nigia. But with one word, Jesus changed everything. With one word, Jesus rescued her. With one word, Jesus saved her life. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, Shomer Nagia, it isn't practiced among immediate family members. And so when Jesus said daughter, he was saying, no, 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 she's okay. No, 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 she, she's with me. It's okay that she, she touched me. She didn't break Nagia. She's my daughter. Man, just like last week, I get goosebumps, right? When Sean, like this, no, 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 no. Oh, come on, man. Because, I mean, think about, it. sometimes we look at the Bible and we think of it as a book that's been around forever. So it kind of loses its life. It loses its light. It loses its luster. I just did a bunch of alliteration. There. Alliteration. <laughs> Pastor Sean loves alliteration, <laughs> and I love that he loves it. Anyway, but I feel like the Bible can do that sometimes, where it loses like relevance or context because we just we read the stories over and over and over again. It's like singing the same song. Like, but like the fact of the matter is that this woman like risked everything for the chance to be healed. Like she risked everything. She risked possible death by just touching the magical tabernacle and being struck down by God. And she also risked being stoned to death. And I, like, I've never seen a stoning, but I did see Monty Python and the life of Brian. It doesn't seem like it's a, you know, like a cool gig. No. Right. And so stone him, stone, stone him, stone him. <laughs> it's really funny if you like Monty Python, but right. uh, anyway, so like she risked that. And so like before anyone can like start picking up stones, right. Or buying stones from the stone dealer to like, stoner she's like wait 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 like daughter like and i love that like i love how he lays claim to that woman because i feel like that means he's laying claim to me that in my suffering and in my ugliness and in my sin and in my disappointments he's not he doesn't say away from me satan he doesn't say get out of here sinner he doesn't say any of that he says daughter or son or family or you know friend and i why i love a jesus that feels that way about me and he invites us in, right? He he invites that person in and and sort of protects her, which I love. And I think about that in my own life so often is welcoming him into my life has, has given me so much. And I think once I accepted that, once I understood that, it just became powerful. And, and I see that in this story where everyone sort of stops and says, oh, okay, she's with him now. Now I get it. I understand. And they back off. And and how powerful is that? Yeah. You know, I, that's good. I For me, there's no better illustration of the difference between relationship and religion than in this story. Right? Where religion says, you can't. And because you did, these are the consequences, right? That there's no grace, there's no mercy, it's black and white. You touched a dude, now we're gonna stone you. And I feel like that's super hyper religious, super hyper legal, super hyper, you know, 
rigid. And, and then Jesus blurs the line, right? And I'm not saying that, the, don't mishear me. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, sin's a free for all. and We can be whatever and we can just keep on sinning. That's not what I'm saying at all. Like Jesus's lines are as hard as anybody's, but like, not like on a religious level, but on a relational level, like on a relationship with him level. And so when I think about the story you just told about how, you know, Jesus has started being more to you now, like, listen, you knew who Jesus was when you were eight, when you were nine, when you were sometimes like Catholic and sometimes Lutheran church, but that was a religion, right? Is it different now? Is it, I mean, does does the relationship look different for you? Jesus, tell me about that. Yeah, it feels completely different. I think where it started feeling different was life church for me, right? So at the end of that service, it's always about, I want you to enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's not, oh, you know, it's not, they're not going through the pageantry. They're really just saying like, do you want to have a relationship with someone? And that person happens to be Jesus. Yeah. Savior of the world. Right. right? Yeah. But love, right? Do you want to have a relationship with someone who is love? Yeah. How can you say no to that? Right, right. And I didn't raise my hand right away. I didn't, you know, I, I felt, I don't know, embarrassed. I didn't feel worthy. But I think the more time I spent at church, I, I felt it. Mm-hmm. Now, are there weeks that I still want to raise my hand where it's been a rough week or it's been a struggle or I've gone through issues and maybe I wasn't my best Jesus guy? Absolutely. But I know I have that relationship in the back of my hand or, you know, in the back pocket, I guess. Right. Yeah. Because it's a gift, right? It is. A gift that never goes away and you can never deserve it and you can never earn it. Right. You know? And so, you know, so as long as you keep getting up and saying, I got to get better tomorrow, right? I got to stop doing this. Like whatever your thing is, right? Right. Like whatever your thing is, I got to stop doing that. Right. He knows we're going to fail. He knows we're going to disappoint. So, boy, if we had to like rebuild it every time, that's religion. You know, so good. Thanks. When a woman in quarantine forced into isolation by her circumstances stopped groping and grabbing at all the procedures and prescriptions of physicians and simply grabbed for the hem of her healer, something shifted for everyone around her. And contrary to what we may have pictured, contrary to what we may have heard preached or had portrayed, this woman's condition was not hidden. She wasn't in the crowd in the cut. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and not with a trickle, but with a constant flow. She was covered in blood. She was caked in the evidence of her sickness caked in the evidence of her illness and everyone in that town knew her and they knew her condition and when she walked up eyes would have rolled and they would have said oh my gosh not her again and friend your sickness is no secret either your struggle is not secret either you are covered in it you are caked in the evidence of your sickness you are caked and the evidence of your struggles and your illness, and everyone who knows you knows. I mean, you've tried to cover it up. You've tried to mask it. You've tried to mask it with work and hobbies and life. But now that life is suspended, the struggle is shouting. 
Your marriage is shouting. You've always been able to mask it because you were at work more than you were at home. But now it's in your face 24-7. Your money, it's shouting. You've always been able to mask it because another paycheck was coming, but now those paychecks may have been put on pause. Your addiction is shouting. You've always been able to mask it because you've been able to do it in private. But there is no more private. Y'all, we've run out of masks. There's no way to cover it anymore. So rather than trying to hide it, rather than groping and grabbing at all your man-made cures and covers, what if you grabbed for the hem of the healer? That's so powerful, right? Like if you're, if you listen, if you didn't get saved from that, like one and a half minutes or whatever that is, like you're a robot. I, I think about what I walk into church with on a weekly basis, like the masks I wear or covered in blood. I can't help but think about the movie Carrie, though, when he says that. But, right, I think about, you know, like, I'm not a small man, you know, I'm tall. And, you know, my weight is an issue. I know Pastor Sean has talked about that. I, I think about, you know, my divorce. I think about all those things and how I wear those, right? And you try to hide that. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm doing well. No, you know, you, you I'm the first to crack a joke about that about my weight or, or whatever, about being single now in this age, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, that is just to really cover up that pain I've been feeling or the, the sadness I have or, or the guilt or whatever it happens to be. Right. Yeah. You know, I order Chinese food. Well, I got to support local business. Do I really though? I mean, well, yeah, I do really have to support <laughs> local business, but do I, do I need to do that? You know? And, and I think that, what I love about this analogy of like grabbing the hem is that this time for me is really about a reboot and like a regrouping of things and not saying that life wasn't good before, but I think it's an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity for us all to grab at that hem. Yeah. I got it. We're just going to play this bit just one more time, just real quick. Hang on, man. I love that because I feel like, so Sean won't tell you this from the stage or from the pulpit, but like, so this, this, uh, sickness of blood or whatever, right. like as far as like every thing I ever found on the internet, which must be true. No. And all of a sudden, <laughs> most theologians will agree that her problem was that she had a constant cycle, right? It's just ne a never ending cycle. Right. And so, and, and given how in that, culture right like if a woman was in this her cycle like she's unclean man you got to put her outside the camp right you got to put her in a special tent or whatever they were doing right she's perpetually in the red tent or whatever right like whatever the thing is she was always there and so like they didn't see it as like oh this is how you know i don't know our bodies work and like with that kind of acceptance they just felt she was a filthy gross caked with blood woman and like oh my gosh karen just go back to the stupid well already right or where wherever that she came from and so like when i think about me and like how i feel about the stuff that i've done like i i like sean just said i'm covered in it man it is caked on me and to hear you talk about like how people must feel about you like when they see you and they know that you're divorced or they know that you're you know big or they know that you're whatever right like i i i'm not saying that i'm further along than you I'm just saying like I had to stop doing that because I would I would obsess about what other people thought of me. I would like 
I would just get wrapped up in it. I got to be better. I got to do this because people are looking at me and people think this about me. And then it was only like in the last couple of years when I realized that I don't give two craps about what other people think about me. That there's only one dude, one person, one entity, however you want to say that, like whose opinion of me only matters. And that's God. And he's told me what he thought of me. You know, he tells, I am who he says I am. I'm not who I say I am. I'm not who the mirror says I am. I'm not who like my ex's friends say that I am. I'm not any of that. I'm who God says I am. And, you know, I just feel like, so in that, I've got the strength to reach out to grab the hem of my healer. Because this divine interruption, it is an opportunity an opportunity to regroup, an opportunity to reboot, an opportunity to hit the factory reset and wipe out all the bugs that are in your system. It is an excuse to get rid of all this stress. I love this idea of a factory reset, that this, you know, coronavirus, COVID-19 thing, like I, don't think that, I don't think that God made this happen, but I could sure see how God would leverage this to be used as a reboot, as a reset. Like, like it, not just on and off here, but like completely, let's just clear it to a factory reset. And so like, because when you do that, you have to reinstall everything. You have to reinstall the apps that you use. You have to reinstall your files. You have to reconnect, you know, your family and your contacts. And I wonder if we, if we look at this season as this, this COVID season as a factory reset, what apps are we going to leave off this time? What contacts are we going to leave off this time? What do we not need to install that we weren't really using anyway, but like it sat there as a reminder on our phone or on our computer of the thing that we're the person that we used to be? Like, what could, can we use it as that kind of factory reset? It, I really do. I think it's about regrouping, right? I think that's, do we ever take the time? Are we ever, do we ever slow down enough to regroup, Right. I mean, we may do it in small little increments, but do we really slow down? And I think this has given us an opportunity to really slow down, right? I want to read my Bible more. I want to play outside more with my kids. I want to sit around the table and have dinner more. I mean, I do a lot of those things, but really be intentional with that. And really, we have this opportunity to be with our kids or be with our family members and really regroup as a as a unit you know i always felt like me and my kids are a strong group together but this is only going to bring us closer together yeah if you're a parent listening i gotta tell you because my kids are done with spring break they're done with like a free-for-all of video games and chatting with their friends like they're asking me to connect and like when that happens for most of us in our normal lives, the pre-COVID days of our lives, we no, nope, sorry, I just got to do this thing first, or no, nope, just got to do this, got to answer this email from work, or it's got to connect with this person. And so we'd put our kids off. And so they would stop asking us. Like, they're not stupid, and they're going to keep, they're not going to be relentless in pursuing a relationship with us. And so in these days, when you don't have to get an email back, or you don't have to return a phone call, or you don't have to get a document done, and your kid says, hey, can we go have a catch? Can we go shoot some hoops? Will we play lightning or horse? Can we go do something? Can we play a game? Like, you better do it. In fact, don't even wait for them. Teach them to play cribbage. Teach, teach them how to shuffle cards. Teach them how to, I don't know, play checker. Do, do something. Because a friend of mine said, this season is going to be in textbooks. Like there's going to be a chapter in a textbook, a history book about COVID-19 and the coronavirus and everything else. And like, you know, 
And someday you're going to get older and your kids are going to get older and they're going to say, so what did you guys do? Listen, don't let them say, I think I just sat around playing video games by myself. Like, don't let that be a thing, man. Like, don't. Good gravy. What if, like that woman, some things have instantly, permanently stopped? Isn't that okay? Aren't, aren't there some things that just needed that? What is it in you that needs to stop? Is it the doubt or the depression, the discouragement or the distractions? Is it the debt? But what if just like her, when those things in you instantly stopped, something in your observers suddenly shifted? What if something better became the norm? I think about what needs to stop and I understand it. I understand that, you know, going through a divorce has been really difficult for me. And some of getting over that, moving on, accepting that I am worthy of love, that I can survive this. I mean, this is the opportunity for me to really dig into that and sort of read and, and reflect, study my Bible, read my devotional and really sort of, get to where I need to be. Yeah, that's good. We, we have, um, and you're welcome to join us at any time. On Sunday nights at 6 o'clock, we have Life Church downtown. It's super fun. Via Zoom. So you don't even have to be there. You don't even have to be in town. You could be anywhere and join us at 6 o'clock Central Daylight Time. You do have to wear a shirt. Yes, please. Yeah, because it's video, you guys. Because one time, my friend Ken did not wear a shirt because he had like a broken arm or something, and so he couldn't get a shirt on. I'm like, Ken, put a shirt on, bro, because that's super weird. Anyway, last night we had Life Church Downtown via Zoom, and uh, we were talking about this, this point. And, like, no one would blame you if you came out of the COVID season changed. Like, if, if, you, if you've been, like, on the, on the fringes of your Jesus journey or fully committing to Jesus, and you're like, but if I go to work all of a sudden, you know, and I'm, you know, talking about Jesus or I'm trying to live like Jesus or I'm trying to be kind like Jesus. People are going to be like, what is up with you, weirdo? Knock it off because of who we've become or who we're known for or what we're known for. Like no one would blame you if you came out of COVID saying, this is the new me, man. I'm a, I love my kids. I'm going to tell you all about my kids until the cows come home. I got 16 million pictures of my kids, right? I love my family. I love my friends. And think about what Pastor Sean said there too. It's not necessarily, I like that it's about us too and sort of that reboot, that regroup, what, what needs to stop in our life. But he also makes mention of who's watching us, Yeah. right? It, and I get it, it's probably more difficult to watch us now, but who's in your house with you? If it's your kids, your spouse, if you make that change, maybe they're going to see that change and be inspired by that. Yeah, what's the downside of that change? Do you mean like, what do you... You know, a lot of people like resist, you know, coming to Jesus or finding religion or however people like to say it. People resist that because, you know, they, they feel like they're, they don't want to give up something. They're, you know, they don't want to. But then I'm thinking like, I, at first, it's not about that. It's not about like having to give stuff up so that you can have Jesus. But like those things that go away, at least, at least for me, the things that were making me bloody or the things that I had to shout about or things that I'm covered with. None of that stuff was good anyway. None of it was productive. None of it was positive. None of it was prudent. Prudent. <laughs> Man, I love alliteration. <laughs> but I just know that like 
It was no good for me anyway. It was no good for my kids. It was no good for my wife. It was no good for my friends, right? Nothing good comes out of the things that we're addicted to, right? There's nothing good that comes for me out of a whole bag of Oreo cookies. There's nothing good that comes out of that. There's nothing good from overspending on Amazon. There's nothing good from looking that comes from looking at dirty pictures on the internet. There's nothing good that comes from drinking too much or smoking too much weed or smoking something. There's nothing good that comes from that other than the five minutes of pleasure that you have when you're putting stuff into your cart or when you're, you know, goofing around with yourself or when you're like, whatever your thing is, it's five minutes of gross. And everyone resents it or regrets it later. And they wake up the next day and like, crap, I'm even further down the road than I was before because they didn't want to give this stuff up. And so I just feel like in this season, like we can just give this crap up. Right. Stopping that. Like I, I wrote it down. I always like, I take notes during sermon and I like what needs to stop. And I circled it and I underlined it and it was doubt. Doubting who I am, doubting myself. And why wouldn't I want to be known as somebody who exudes love, who exudes what Jesus stands for? That's the goal. Yeah. You know, and I think about you, Chris, and I'm not trying to like blow smoke up your skirt. I'll take it. Chris is not wearing a skirt I, I have, this time. I do have pants on. <laughs> but like, that's your reputation. Like, that's your brand right now. Like, all the people that I know that know you, that's how they feel about you. Right? And I feel like knowing people that know you, not that are my friends, but knowing people that know you by reputation, that's how they know you. Right? And so, like, I think there's a fantastic brand. It's a fantastic reputation to have. I think it's great for your kids that they see their dad being known as that. I think, man, what a thrill. And I think some of that too is, you know, some of the reflection, whether it was through alpha or some of the, even the discussions we've had, it's, I've had to start to choose. And I I think even back to like the discussion with last week, right. With the Hennessy kids, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose who you want to associate with and what people are known for. And if you're known for the guy who exudes love and happiness and joyfulness, that's who you want to be, right? And if people aren't or bring that down on you or mock you for your religion or, you know, question it or they're out drinking all the time or or making fools out of themselves, like that's that's not who I ever want to be. Yeah, that's really good. Man, this was a lot of fun, Chris. I hope that we can do this again. Yes, please. Not next week. No, you have somebody else next week. I do have someone else next week, but I really enjoyed this a lot. I always enjoy our conversations, and I think the world of you. Hey, thanks, everyone, for joining us for Chew on That. Uh, We hope to see you next week. Tell all your friends. Make sure you share. See you later.